podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are going to be pulling double duty. We're going to be doing a quick recap of the game against Texas Tech. I'm actually just going to be running that recap myself. I don't have anybody coming in to interview about it um, due to scheduling conflicts and then also just really not wanting to talk too much about the game. So, um, but, so I will get started on that, but also make sure you guys do stick around. We have, we have a guest coming in. Uh, to talk about the TCU game. Uh, it's going to be a great interview. So, um, But first, let's go ahead and kick off with Texas Tech. Um, to put it shortly, that game was a disaster. Um, you know, we, we got our first look at David Beatty being able to run the offense again by himself, and it was just as bad as everything we remember from before uh, Cal Likens, or from before Likens from Cal, and then... Uh, Doug Meacham came in and supposedly ran the offense. We saw we saw a lot of things, I think that uh, that we had seen in the past. Um, we didn't really see too much difference in terms of how the offense was actually run. There was no market improvement. I honestly don't think that the offense got markedly worse either, though. They just didn't play well. Um, you know, Peyton Bender was as inaccurate as he always is, and I mean that's not really saying much because he's usually pretty inaccurate. The one thing I thought that improved this week, I thought the offensive line from what I was able, I went back and watched the game. I didn't actually get to watch it live, um, but I went back and watched and, and the offensive line seemed to be playing pretty well. Like they gave Bender plenty of time on a lot of his plays. Uh, he missed a lot of wide open receivers. He overthrew a ton of guys. He just, he had at least two picks in the, or two passes in the first half that should have been picks where the defensive back either just completely whiffed on it um, and didn't make the catch, or he got really lucky and that the receiver came in at the last second and broke it up. Steven Sims saved him a couple times um, on some some other plays. So uh, just there's been so there's been absolutely no improvement. There was no clarity on the offense like I thought there might have been. Um, you know, I was I was really hoping that we would have gotten some sort of clarity there, um, but instead we have. You know, we still took a timeout to decide to punt. We still had questionable decision-making on fourth down calls. Like, everything was there, the hallmark of of this Kansas offense for the last few years. Um, to be honest, if, if I wasn't following the team and someone said after, you know, if, like, if, I, if I wasn't a fan of this team and after, you know, we basically said, oh, yeah, by the way, during the bye week, they fired Meacham, like, I wouldn't have known that there was any difference. It looked exactly like we were getting with Meacham. The only difference is that we only used one quarterback the entire time. Um, and it was a disaster. Like, Peyton Bender did absolutely nothing to show that he should have been the quarterback. And the the comment from David Bay that was making it around Twitter, um, either it was either after the game or during his press conference, was that, you know, we've got, we've got three different guys and we're going to see which one has the best week and that's who we're going to go with. Um, so we're right back where we started. That we don't have, we don't actually have a starting quarterback. All we have is a bunch of indecision um, and 
really poor decision making from David Beatty. Um, I mean, the, the the silver lining to this is David Beatty is showing, without a doubt, that there is no reason to keep him past this year. So, um, I think even if he magically pulls an upset against, say, either Oklahoma or Texas, um, or if he you know wins this game against TCU that's coming up, which all of a sudden seems really really winnable. Um, if for the fact that we had David Beatty, like, you know, the fact that David Beatty is calling the shots makes me think there's absolutely no way that we actually beat TCU, but the way TCU has been playing, it's definitely a possibility if these guys play really well. So, um, but yeah, so just looking over a few stats, um, I was expecting, let me see. I was expecting a different quarterback to start for Texas tech. I didn't think Alan Bowman was going to make it back. Everything I had, um, Everything I had heard pointed to uh, to Jet being the starting quarterback for Texas Tech. Um, Kansas was still able to get some turnovers, though, so it's not like it was a complete wash on the defense. The defense played really, really well. Like I was, I was sitting there. I bought a little bit into the box score analysis and saw, you know, where they were getting covered and or where they were getting blasted, especially towards the end. Uh, but when I went back and rewatched the tape, they played extremely well in the first half, and the offense did them absolutely no favors. Um, they got burned a little bit towards the end of the se- uh, of the second quarter, but to be honest, you know that's going to happen when you're playing a, an offense as explosive as Texas Tech. Um, it's also going to happen when your when your defense is on the field for that long and they're just completely gassed. Like you could tell towards the end of the second quarter, they were gassed. Um, so there was there was uh, I actually tweeted a little bit before I got frustrated while I was rewatching it. Mike Lee had a phenomenal game, even though he got ejected uh, for the targeting call. You know, he had a phenomenal game. There was one entire series where he was single-handedly responsible for giving the ball back to the offense. Um, you know, he had he uh, blew up a, a couple plays and then knocked down a pass that almost they actually almost intercepted it. Um, had a lot of opportunities there. Played really well. Uh, you know, I I was very disappointed in the ejection that he got because to be honest, you know, that was a clean block. He led. His head was the first thing that made contact, yes, but his head was up. Uh, it wasn't like completely up in your face, you know, face into the chest of the guy that he was tackling, but it was up enough that he could see where he was going, um, you know, and, and just because because the head is the furthest away from where he was or from the, the, the center of his body, it made contact first. But the, the, the runner dropped his head like to initiate the contact at the end of the play. And, you know, I tweeted this and, and I, I just, I don't understand if you're going to throw out guys for unintentional hits to the head with their helmet, like a, a good proper form tackle. I used to, I used to actually help coach youth football. Um, and you know, a good proper form tackle is that you go in, you wrap up, you know, you, you make contact with your shoulder into the gut, your head is going to make, you know, you want to try to tuck your head to one of the sides. Um, and then you wrap up. Mike Lee did that perfectly. The only thing that he did wrong was that he did not see the runner was dipping his head down and moved his head into the line of where his head was going. He made a proper form tackle and was just unfortunate that there was contact between the two helmets because the runner dropped his helmet. And so, you know, I and I you've seen this time after time this year where a runner will go and he knows the contact's coming, so he drops his head, leads with his own helmet, and tries to get in there and, and get a call. And it, it's happening, it's getting called way too often for, for me to really take it seriously. Like, uh, I'm real, I'm just really glad that it happened at the end of the second quarter instead of the beginning of the third quarter because Mike Lee now has served his, his quote unquote suspension for it. 
he does not have to sit out anymore, uh, if, if I remember correctly, for the TCU game. So it's really, really important that they went ahead and got that taken care of. Um, he's going to be absolutely huge for them. He had some monster hits. You know, he was in really, really good position. Um, I, I don't. I, I may not actually have this correct, but my understanding was that he was he was in line to be one of the top-rated guys um, of the week on the Pro Football Focus team. Unfortunately, he just. I don't think he ended up qualifying because he didn't play enough, um, which is unfortunate because he was he was absolutely balling out during that game. So. Only other comment, I guess, from this point. Obviously, Cliff Kingsbury is not going to get fired this year like we were hoping. Um, I know there was a lot of Texas Tech fans uh, that were kind of hoping that he would get fired too. Um, I mean, I think he's a decent coach. I just think he's been a little bit unlucky. He has a few tendencies that I guess will drive his own fan base crazy. But um, in a way, I'm kind of glad he's going to stick around. You always kind of want to see the guys that are that are big names at their school, used to play for their school, come back to coach, be successful. So really happy for him being successful. I just wish that Kansas could find somebody that would do the same thing for them. So, Okay, we'll go ahead and leave the, the recap of Texas Tech there. Um, there's not really a whole lot more to talk about, and I don't want to drag it on. So, um, Joining us now, we have Jeff Mitchell from the Frogcast, uh, which is a, obviously a, a TCU Horn Frogs podcast. Um, so I will get you right over to that interview. And I'm joined now by Jeff Mitchell. He is a host over at the the Frogcast. That's a podcast that covers TCU, correct? That is correct. So, so first of all, um, how are you guys doing this year? Because I know that this, this TCU team has kind of been a little schizophrenic to me. Um, they look really, really good at the beginning of the year. Um, have had a few bumps in the road. Played a really weird game against Texas Tech, and then looked like they were going to hang with Oklahoma for a half, and then completely fell apart. I don't know any Frog fan that is happy with where things are, and it's probably nothing compared to what the staff feels right now. But this season is is definitely kind of a every, – every Frog fan has reached that expectations because it's, it's all set in contrast to how well TCU played against Ohio State. And, you know, I know Ohio State won that game, and I know that all, all games that are, that are tight turn on one or two plays. But that, play, that game really turned on two turnovers that became touchdowns in the third quarter where the Frogs had a two-score lead at the time. And so everything since then has just been a very difficult uh, very difficult to watch because you know what they were capable of, especially in a big venue like that against Ohio State in Jerry World on national television. And since then, it's just kind of been a slow petering out. I mean, the, the Iowa State game looks, a win looks better now than it did at that time, but still – they should have beat Texas. They should have beat Texas Tech. And, you know, they played okay against Oklahoma. That was about the outcome that I assumed. But they made a quarterback change, and even in that, it, it still was just not enough to hang up with, with Oklahoma. Yeah, so, I mean, kind of talking about that game, uh, I actually watched the first half, and it looked like they were doing pretty well. Uh, they actually got pretty close. I believe it was like 20, 28, 24th half or something like that. Um, that is correct, yes. One and, short game at the half. Yeah, and then I ended up having to leave, and I, I just assumed that they were going to play them pretty close. It looked like TCU was having one of those days. Um, but then it looked like everything kind of fell apart. Anything particular that, that you think brought that about, or was it just that Oklahoma finally started playing the way that they needed to? Well, you know, it was in the second quarter they made a quarterback change. Sean Robinson, who was a, a highly rated four-star quarterback out of DeSoto, won the Gatorade Player of the Year in 2016. He has not been able to meet expectations. And I know that's a lot to put on a true sophomore quarterback to come in and just kind of make things happen in the Big 12. But they benched him. He had been banged up, and it was kind of debatable about whether he was going to play or not. 
he got banged up. They, they benched him. They went with Michael Collins, who uh, came in and immediately kind of brought that spark. They were able to get the ball down the field to Cavante Turpin, who we can maybe talk about later. Uh, <laughs> and then Jalen Rager, they hit him on a, on a deep route. And that really re-energized both the offense and the defense because after all those, you know, after each of those touchdowns, they were forcing a punt, which against Oklahoma is a mild miracle. But then in the middle, I think it was in the middle of the of the third quarter, late in the third quarter, Collins went out of bounds and he slid, and he got caught on that, you know, that rug that's on the on, behind the player's box, and he ripped open his thumb, um, the kind of that that uh, edge of your thumb where the skin is, and it really left a big blister, and he wasn't able to do what he was uh, what he'd been doing before, and it kind of you can tell in his statistics, and when you know this now, go back and rewatch the game, you can see that it kept him from being able to make um, be accurate the way that he had been up to that point. I don't know if he hadn't been injured, I, I'm not going to tell you if you beat Oklahoma. But it would have not ended up being the the game that it was. Probably right. about they would a have scored more game. than they they would have scored more than three points in the second half. So yes, they would have scored more than three points in the second half. Um, by all accounts, he's going to be good to go and healthy, according to Patterson at his Tuesday press conference. Sean Robinson has now elected to have season-ending surgery to uh, work on that shoulder so that he is able to be healthy for next year completely. So. You have a back. You have your starting quarterback that became the backup in that game that is now done for the season, and you have your backup that they are now uh, putting all the chips in the middle on Michael Collins being able to lead the team going forward. So, so that actually kind of clarified what my next question was going to be because the the big narrative I had seen surrounding this was that you know TCU was now down their starting quarterback and you know has some other players and maybe sitting out. We'll actually get to that in a minute. Um, you know, but but it, it it sounds like this change in in quarterback is probably actually good for them going forward. Is is that a fair assessment? I would say that's a fair assessment, and I think most Brock fans are going to tell you they thought this change should have been made probably a game or two ago. Uh, you know, they they only put up uh, they scored one touchdown against Iowa State. TCU has scored one offensive touchdown against Iowa State the last two seasons. They scored one touchdown. They had a, a fumble that Ben Banigou ran back for a, for, a, for a score against Iowa State, and then they kicked a game-winning field goal to, you know, win 17-14. And then what Collins was able to do against Oklahoma kind of kind of brought some life into the program and brought some life into the sideline, especially, you know, in the stadium as well. It was as loud as, you know, when, when Collins jumped on the field, the place went crazy. And then when he was able to connect really quick and be able to generate some energy and some points, everybody got behind him. And I know that the the backup quarterback is always the most popular man on campus when you're kind of having a frustrating season. But I don't feel like that TCU is going forward with a massive deficiency with Michael Collins playing quarterback. And you you kind you know you kind of have to wonder would they have beaten Texas Tech if they had made that change before. Yeah. So talking about the offense going forward, I mean, what does this offensive team look like? I know in the past, you know, I'm, I'm used to TCU having a quarterback that can throw the ball all over the field. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't look like, from everything I've looked at, like they have that this year. Obviously, with the, with the QB change, things may be a little bit different. But, but even with Michael Collins' game this last week, like it doesn't seem like the one place where the Jayhawks are super susceptible on the long, the long pass – um, I mean, is that something that, that TCU really has in their arsenal? I would say that they're, we're going to find out because Michael Collins did throw the ball well before he got uh, hurt with his hand, so, you know, to be able to connect with Jalen Rager and be able to go over the top with Rager. He was able to go over the top with Turpin, who obviously is off the team now. But they, uh, Collins, Collins threw a good deep ball, and honestly that's the first good deep ball that TCU fans have seen thrown consistently since Trevon Boykin. 
because Kenny Hill was, you know, he, he got him to the Big 12 title game last year. He finished with the top 10 team. But his, his strength was not throwing the ball over the top. And I would say Michael Collins is going to be able to bring that to the table going forward is his ability to not only throw the ball deep, but to read progression. That was one of the struggles that Sean Robinson had was, he, you know, he knew who he wanted to throw it to. And if he didn't have that from his high school days, he just would tuck it and run and, and run 46 yards. He's not able to do that in the Big 12. Right. And so I think Collins is going to be able to throw the ball over the top a little bit better. And, uh, you know, he's quick. He can run the ball, but that's not his go-to mode is, oh, my first guy's not there. You know, look at the second and then run it. Collins is going to be able to work through his progressions. I, th- I think we saw that pretty well in the limited scope that he had against Oklahoma. So not only is he going to be able to get the ball over the top, I'm confident in, I think he's going to know who to hit if that pass isn't there and not rely on his legs, which a lot of these high school quarterbacks in Texas, you know, they clearly have big arms, but they're also conditioned. You know, if, if it's there to run it, run it. You know, and, and especially if you're, if you're playing football and the game's on the line, you can trust yourself in that moment. That doesn't work. That doesn't translate so well in college unless you're Kyler Murray or Johnny Manziel. Or, and Michael or Collins playing is against the Kansas that. Jayhawks. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. They've, <laughs> they've had all kinds of problems with really mobile quarterbacks, but it doesn't sound like Collins is, is one of those. So, No, um, he, he knows what – you know, if it's a third and six, he can get that. He can get that. And there, there's a great gif out there of him stiff arm and one of the D-backs from, uh, from OU to be able to pick up the first down. It was actually the same play he got injured on. But that said, he's going he's gonna to want to throw the ball, and I think he's going to want to throw the ball deep. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, it definitely sounds like they can take advantage of that if it's open for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking at the running stats in this last game, and I haven't looked at the season stats yet, but it seems like they, you know, what about the running game for this team? I'm, I, I've seen a lot of Kansas opponents who are really good at the run with like Oklahoma State. Um, you know, Texas Tech actually has some really good running backs as well. And so they've mm-hmm. been burned by them. Um, I'm just looking at the few running stats for a few games, and I'm not really seeing a lot of rushing from this TCU offense. Are they... I mean, how how talented are the running backs here, and and what can we expect? I think that I think the running backs are talented. Darius Anderson and Shea Walanalu are two really good running backs. The problem this year is essentially a brand new offensive line. The one returning starter that they had, Cordell, has been banged up for the last three games, so he's not been able to play. And so you've got basically a fresh offensive line, five new guys playing at offensive line, and they they've had a hard time getting a push. They've had a hard time opening up running lanes. And then, you know, this is an underrated component of being an offensive lineman is just, I know it's a cliche, but they haven't been able to gel. They haven't been able to learn how to communicate and learn how to you know, communicate without saying a word. And so you hope that that's able to kind of come along as the season uh, progresses. But the, I think the issue is not the running backs. I think the issue is the guys in front of the running backs. So if, if, if Kansas is able to, uh, you know, stop up gaps and be able to, uh, you know, make the offensive line question what they're supposed to do schematically, I think that could generate some problems. Um, but if, if, if Darius Anderson gets a lane, he can go. You know, Shalo is a, is a great north-south runner. He's actually a really good receiving running back. Out of, uh, he can catch a good pass out of the backfield. But the, the issue that you see statistically from the running back is the issue of the offensive line, which if you go back and read every preseason preview this year, that was the big question mark. You know, can, can TCU be that third team to compete with, at the time, Oklahoma-West Virginia? And everybody said it's going to require the offensive line, which in college is probably the most underrated group of uh, where you need longevity, where you need consistency, yeah. where you need returning starts. And that's what TCU clearly lacked. And they lacked it even more this year with the one strong starter returning that was banged up for most of the season. He will be back this Saturday against Kansas, though. So. 
Yeah, we're we're well aware of offensive line problems. I I actually played <laughs> offensive line in uh, in junior high and high school, so I'm aware of the whole you know gel factor. Hey, I did too, um, man. It's but, uh, I was actually actually maybe not to go old school here, but it made me think about that as I was reflecting on it this week. Of man, the guys I played next to, I played next to, so we knew each other. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that, those. I mean, they they put. There's a reason they put all the offensive linemen locker lockers right next to each other in the locker room. You know, like they try to get those guys spending as much time together as completely possible because they need to know each other as well as possible. There's a lot of things Absolutely. that have to happen on the field that, you know, you don't have time to talk about. You just have to instinctively know where that person's going to be. You have to be able to look at each other and, and, you know, basically divide up responsibilities right there on the spot because the play call can't always catch everything there. So, yeah, I definitely understand how important that is. And, of course, Kansas fans are – definitely aware of that as well because we have all kinds of problems on our offensive line as well so mm-hmm. um but yeah so i guess really what's, what's been the calling card for this tcu team has been their defense for the last few years like that's how gary patterson made his name uh, everybody when you think tcu you'd think you know really good defense um i don't know that they necessarily have that this year i mean i've been seeing Quite a few points being scored by a bunch of different teams. Other than, you know, holding Texas Tech to 17 points, um, you know, every other offense that's been decent has kind of broken out against them. Is that something that's going on with the defense specifically, or has it just been kind of bad luck for them? This defense has been riddled with injuries almost the entire season. So it's the beginning, right before camp, uh, right in the middle of camp, uh, Ross Blacklock, who was a returning freshman All-American, 330-pound defensive lineman that was running a sub-540. Probably, if he would have had a good, he, he, he tore his Achilles this season, uh, right before the season started. If oh. he would have had a really good 2018, most people thought he was going to go to the draft because he had redshirted and then had an excellent uh, true, or redshirt freshman year. And most people thought with, with a commodity like that and a body like that, he was going to be able to go pro. So you take him out. That's an issue. And then, you know, this isn't anything you can't read on a message board, but, you know, Nico Small has been out. He's a four-year starter at safety. In his games, who had really come on this season, he is injured, and he is out this game for sure. And then uh, Jeff Gladney and, and, and Julius Lewis have been playing corners, and they are highly questionable for this Saturday. So oh, you gosh. could be looking at four of five starters in the defensive backfield that will not be projected starters that will not be playing against Kansas. Uh, Gladney and and Lewis uh, are 50-50. They'll they'll be back at some point this season. But a lot of the questions have have to do with injuries. So you take out Ross Blacklock and what, you know, for all the, I I love the Big 12, but what they don't produce, and I love Texas high school football and what they don't produce are 325 pound defensive linemen that are coveted by defensive coordinators and for right. you to have two of those and Corey Bethley and Ross Blacklock you take one of those off that changes a lot of things that just, that just changes a lot of things so it, they were hurt up front with with depth and then you just have this it's like a you know it's like a you're running triage in the defensive backfield with all of these injuries now there's some good guys that can come along and replace them uh, look for a guy like Noah Daniels who's a true sophomore big strong uh, you know, a really fast player to to have an impact against Kansas. I think he's going to start. But that said, a lot of what has gone wrong in their ability to shut things down has to do with guys that should not have been starting until 2020 that are forced out there to figure out how to stop Kyler Murray. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess that really begs the question then, what do you think is going to be the most important matchup in this game coming up on Saturday? 
I think it's the offensive line of TCU. You know, I think if the offensive line is able to get a push, you know, they're, they're actually protected, protecting the quarterback well. They've only given up seven sacks this season. And so the issue isn't protection. The issue is that they don't know what to do on that, that when it's third and six, that nobody thinks they're going to run the ball. And then when you know when you don't have that strength to run the ball, you're able to sneak a gut. You know, you're, you're, you don't have to stack the box. And that creates more problems for a quarterback that hasn't read his progressions very well. And so I think the key is the offensive line being able to handle the Kansas defensive front to be able to set, establish some kind of run game to where they can't uh, cheat and drop an extra guy back. And if that's able to happen, I would look for Michael Collins to go deep, look for a guy like uh, Jalen Rager to go deep. Another name that is going to pop up at the end of the, towards the end of the season here with some injuries is John Stevens Jr. He's a true freshman wide out. He had a huge catch against Oklahoma. He has all of the tools. He's about 6'6", 215, big body and really fast. He was a uh, all-state basketball player in Louisiana, and his, his highlights looked better dumping the ball than they did catching the ball, and his highlights catching the ball were great. <laughs> so I could see a guy like him being able to take advantage of the, of the Kansas secondary and, and to not simply be able to focus on figuring out how to stop Jalen Rager. Yeah, I mean, I, I think really that's what it's going to come down to is, you know, I, I don't think you need to worry too much about them Kansas dropping a guy back because they're they're liable to get beat even if they have you know five people back there so um, you know I, I really do think it comes down to how well or how accurate they are with the deep ball because mm-hmm. you know Kansas is going to break some runs on their offense their offense may actually get going especially if what you're saying about you know the defense is is true for for TCU but. Um, mm-hmm. But really, it's going to come down. Like I could see this being a really low, low scoring game because even with all the TCU's defensive injuries, you know, I, I just don't know how well Kansas' offense is actually going to be able to get going unless Puka, you know, Puka Williams breaks three eighty yard runs or something like that. So yeah. Um, but I mean, really, really, I think that's kind of the the key matchup is if he can be accurate with his deep throws, we are going to have lapses in that secondary coverage. Um, Mike Lee, who was ejected from the last game, but is going to be able to play in this one because it happened in the first half. Um, okay. You know, he he's been pretty good in coverage, but a lot of the the safeties we have are a lot better in the run in the run game. So Bryce Bryce Tornaden and Mike Lee are probably more run stopping safeties as opposed to pass coverage safeties. Um, and Corion Harris, our our four star cornerback, you know, has has shown up quite a bit, but he has also shown a propensity to get beat deep so um you know if he can if he can loft up some if if collins can loft up some some good throws that can get and can get back there fast enough that'll open up everything for you guys so i do think that that's going with what's going to have to come first um is you guys are going to have to stretch the field more by sending guys deep and, and connecting a few and then that will open things up for your run game but um yeah offensive line is definitely going to be super important um, because Daniel Wise is playing, you know, he's he's not getting a lot of the, the accolades or anything because of how bad Kansas is, but he's been consistently rating up towards the top on, on pro football focus for, for defensive linemen. And, of course, there's the terror in the middle, Joe, Joe Deneen Jr., who I believe leads the country in, in tackles. Um, so he's going to be all over the field for us. But, um, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely concerned about this game. Um, I actually made a comment. Um, earlier this week, it seems finally there we're at the point now where what could potentially be the second worst team in the Big 12 is actually playing Kansas in the week that they look that bad. So, um, <laughs> I mean, TCU has not necessarily looked great the last few weeks, and there's been a lot of questions kind of 
being thrown out there, but I, I do wonder, I mean, how worried are you about this game? Are you worried that there's a, a good chance that Kansas actually can get some revenge for all the close losses and, and actually pull one out? Well, if you just look at it historically since TCU joined the Big 12, TCU has never played well in Lawrence. They, and last year was kind of the first blowout of Kansas, and I don't have to tell you how how how, uh, how down Kansas football has been since TCU joined the Big 12. Right. But last year was the only season that TCU has kind of laid the woods Kansas. Everything else has been a nail biter. You know, the 2014 season that turned on a punt return, or the 2014 game that turned on a punt return. Uh, 2016, where they had to trot out a uh, true freshman walk-on kicker to be able to kick a, a long field goal to win the game. The, the TCU has not played well in Warren. That's just a fact. And so I don't want to just say weird things happen when TCU goes there, but trends are trends. And the trend is that this game is always much closer than the, the team's final record should have uh, predicted it to be. So I am, I am worried about it. I'm worried about it in terms of what is the offensive line able to do, and I'm worried about it in terms of, you know, I, I know that going to play at Kansas is not the same as going to play in Austin, but nevertheless, going on the road for a quarterback to make his true first uh, his first true start as a college quarterback is, is going to be daunting. So I'll be curious. I'm, I'm, I'm appropriately concerned. I, I'm appropriately concerned about this game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you have to be super worried about it, but just given the history, I mean, I, I actually said this before last year's game. Um, you know, I, I had thought that that game there was possibly a chance, even though Kansas was historically bad then as well, um, mm-hmm. because it just it seemed like KUTCU had kind of taken over as the quote unquote rivalry game where you throw out the records. You know, it just seemed mm-hmm. like since they came in, you know, we had a lot of really close games where really weird stuff was happening. I mean, the last game that was in Lawrence, Kansas was leading, I think, well into the third quarter. Yeah, um, they were. And, they were. I mean, even then, TCU, when they finally pulled ahead, they weren't able to, to put any distance between them. So, yeah, it came no. down to, like, last-second heroics there. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, this this has the feel of a, a rivalry game in terms of on the field because it doesn't. it never seems to matter how good either of these teams are, um, with, of course, the exception of last year. Uh, you know, it just seems that they always are playing this close. I, I do think that this is probably Kansas' best chance for a win the rest of the year, only because it's at home. Um, hmm. And you know, with all the with all the shakeups here for TCU. That being said, I have absolutely no faith in David Beatty at all. He's shown <laughs> time and time again just how bad of a head coach he is. Um, you know, he. I, I'm sure you've been following somewhat. I mean, it, it was kind of a, a national thing. Everybody was wondering why he fired Doug Meacham and um, a bunch of people yeah. who were. You know, and, and of course, with with Meacham's TCU ties, I'm sure it kind of resonated with you guys a little bit more. Um, it why, definitely. Why did seemed, he fire Doug Meacham? Honestly, the only the, the only thing I can come up with is that he needed a scapegoat so that he wouldn't be fired himself. Because okay. basically, the 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 story that came out was that Doug Meacham and David Beatty, for the entire time that Meacham was here, never really could agree or get along uh, in terms of how they wanted to run the offense. And David Beatty, being an offensive guy. Um, wanted a lot more say in the offense. Actually, that's why Likens, who who came from Cal before we hired Meacham, um, ended up leaving because he came, he wanted control of the offense, and Beatty wouldn't give it up. And mm. so ultimately it became a, you know, he was technically fired, but he didn't you know, really worry too much about it because he didn't get the control it needed to run his system. Um, yeah. And so honestly, I think it's just a case of Beatty was meddling too much in it. Um you know, and and ultimately, when it came time for somebody to get fired for it, he you know washed his hands of it and said, "Oh no, no, this was Doug Meacham. 
and use him as a scapegoat to keep his job. I think it's pretty clear that Beatty's the one that's really been calling the shots and has been because <laughs> because nothing changed. The only thing that the only thing that changed this time was that Peyton Bender played the entire game instead of switching out quarterbacks every few drives. Um, gotcha. But every but everything else in terms of like the the strategy, the weird timeouts on fourth and short, the weird timeouts <laughs> to just decide to go ahead and punt it, like all of this random stuff that they're doing. It's still happening. It has absolutely nothing to do with Meacham. Um, but really, like, the only reason we had a huge discussion of, you know, why did Jeff Long allow this to happen? And and I think really what it came down to is, you know, he probably knows that nobody on this staff is staying past this year anyway, except for maybe a couple of the, you know, lower lower tier coaches like Tony Hall, who's been a fabulous recruiter as, as a running backs coach. He has a good shot at staying on with the staff. Um, somehow, I think Clint Bowen might be able to survive. Uh, I'm honestly really kind of hoping he doesn't. He's been sticking around forever, and the defenses have been okay, but I think it's been more about the personnel than it is about the actual coach himself. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I mean, really, those are probably the only two coaches on this staff that you can make a strong case for um, staying on this staff after next year. So, it, you know, firing Beatty now and giving Doug Meacham an opportunity to run it as an interim head coach doesn't really do anyone any favors if you're just getting rid of Doug Meacham anyway at the end of the year. It just makes more mm-hmm. sense to stay where you're at, um, you know, because we had this issue last time when uh, Charlie Weiss got fired. We made Clint Bowen the interim head coach, and he won a couple games. And then the, a bunch of the fan base decided, oh, well, we need to make him the head coach. And Shan Zinger, apparently, again, none of this has actually been confirmed, but the rumor that's been swirling around this from, from some guys that I know in the department is that Shan Zinger essentially made it a requirement for the next head coach to keep Clint Bowen on as defensive coordinator because of, gotcha. because he was a Kansas guy and because of all the things he had done and, you know, and, and everything there. And um, we had a couple other candidates who we thought probably would have been a lot better than David Beatty that it sounds like the one sticking point was they didn't want to keep Clint Bowen as their defensive coordinator. So, Mm. I mean, there is kind of a little bit of a history there. If they had allowed Meacham to be the interim head coach and he had won a couple of these games, say, you know, he had pulled off against TCU and won against Kansas State or, you know, pulled a shocker against Iowa State and won at Kansas State or something like that, there could be a big push to try to keep him on the staff that could cause problems moving forward. And it's just a headache that I don't think Jeff Long necessarily wanted to deal with. Um, so the only thing that makes sense to me is that he went into this and Beatty basically came to him and said, look, I want to fire, you know, I want to fire Meacham and I want to run the offense myself. And he's like, okay, you know, in, internally, he's probably thinking, okay, this doesn't really matter anyway. You guys are all gone at the end of the year. So go ahead, do whatever you want. We're not going to make any changes right now. So do yeah. whatever you have to do, you know, unless you like run the table the rest of the year, you're gone anyway. So I really don't care. Like, that's the only reason I can think of why he stepped in, because it didn't make anything better. Nobody thought it was going to make anything better. It more or less just puts the final nail in David Beatty's coffin that he's not going to be the guy that, that sticks around next year. So That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's kind of a raw deal for Meacham, because, honestly, I don't think he ever got the ability to run the offense the way that he wanted to. Um, but it also is kind of a good thing for him because it gives him an opportunity to get out there. And, you know, now with, with what happened here at Texas, uh, against Texas Tech and what we're imagining is going to happen the rest of the year, it's very easy for him to point and say, look, those weren't my problems. This is the problem of the coach that we had here. You know, someone needs to give me another chance. And so I think he's going to mm-hmm. land on his feet. He's going to get a much better job than he had here just because he's going to be able to point to Beatty as the true source of the problems here at Kansas. So. All right. So obviously the one thing we haven't talked about that kind of made news and you and you alluded to it earlier is that uh, Turpin um, 
is no longer on the team, from what I understand, from what you just said. I know that he had gotten yeah. suspended because he got arrested. Um, do they actually go ahead and kick him off the team completely? Yes, he has been removed from the program and will never play another down for TCU. He had a, a, a domestic violence charge uh, over the weekend, and then it turns out that he had had a bench warrant out in New Mexico for an incident during similar incident during spring break that the university was not completely aware of is is what they're saying. And if they would have known all of that, then he never would have played this season. So Turpin is gone. Uh, you know, I. He made a terrible choice, and he's got nobody to blame for himself. He was a great player for TCU. Uh, We used to joke that, you know, he's the only reason you stayed to watch a punt because you never knew what was going to happen. And he has uh, wasted this opportunity and will no longer be playing at TCU, and that is just fine by me. Yeah, and I find find it hard to believe that he would really be able to go anywhere else with the way that, you know, everything's happened. I mean – no, he's just, a senior just even and he inside the conference. Games, so he he has no more eligibility left. Oh, oh, he's okay. He's he's already yeah. done. So okay, yeah, he's done, done. And I I doubt he's going to really catch on. Well, there may be an NFL team or two that might give him a look, but it's going to be as an undrafted free agent, and I doubt we'll yes. ever hear from him ever again. So. Um, Sadly, you are probably correct. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, given given the increased scrutiny after the whole Baylor debacle and everything else that's been going mm-hmm. on, I'm not surprised. I don't necessarily think that it's um, completely fair that that, you know, sticks with him forever. But mm-hmm. the way that he's kind of reacted to what's happened and it's not his first, uh, you know, his yeah. first issue makes me feel a little bit better about it. You know, the big, the big example yeah. I think that everybody points to is um, – you know, there's uh, I'm, I'm I'm a Chiefs fan, so the one that immediately comes to mind is yeah. is, is Tyree Kill. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you still even no matter how good he is, you still have people that talk about how oh he shouldn't even be playing because you know mm-hmm. because he beat up his 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 girlfriend and you know it's like I understand the sentiment mm-hmm. of not wanting to allow these guys a, another chance, but if they yeah. truly can show that they've turned their lives around, and if you know if if, if somehow Turpin were to show that he had somehow turned himself around was trying to be a positive role model, had learned from his mistake and was doing everything he could to put it behind him and, and try to improve the situation for everybody, then I could understand giving him another chance. But just based yeah. off of what you've just said, it doesn't sound like that was ever his intention. So, um, you know, I think the big difference on all of that, and I've, you know, I followed along with, with situations at TCU, with Baylor and, and other spots, uh, you know, what the NFL does is their business decision. You know, any company, is, which is amount, amounts to what they are, is free to hire whoever they want that's best for them. But I think universities have a much higher bar for who they want to empower and set apart and, and even welcome onto their campus because they, they have a much bigger responsibility to the entire student body. And then in the end, the Board of Trustees, about what they allow, who they allow um, to, to give a pass to and who they allow to let onto their campus and I, you know, I don't think it should ruin your life forever, but that, that, but universities are free to determine who they wish to have on their campus or not. And I, I completely support, uh, I, I support a little bit of an overreach for a university to protect themselves. And that's a completely right. different issue than, than Hill returning kicks for, for the Chiefs. That's my, that's my, my take on all of that. Oh, yeah. Well, right. And I mean, it, it also doesn't help, I think, for a guy like, like Turpin, if, if he had been eligible to transfer anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, the huge, stories that we've had of people that transferred from one location to another and their, their entire history didn't come with them. And so they were allowed to do a lot of things that they really shouldn't have been. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's gonna make it a lot harder for anybody who's ever accused of anything like this in, in the NCAA to really get an opportunity to move on from it. Um, Mm -hmm. 
which I think to some degree is probably a warranted change. Like we've, it's been ignored for so long that it's time for it to swing back the other way for a little bit until we can find Mm -hmm. the the quote unquote appropriate norm for it to stay at. So, all right. Well, um, any other final thoughts about this game before we get out of here? Well, I'm mostly curious. I mean, I don't want to take up any more of your time, oh, no, but no, no. you've already been alluded to Beatty, David Beatty being gone. Just who's your top two picks? Oh, gosh. Uh, so the, there's a couple names that have been kind of floated around as, as, as rumors. Um, obviously, the one that everybody has been talking about is Les Miles. And I think, you know, even though he's not like a long-term, you know, five, ten-year solution to that, I think he would be a huge shot in the arm for this program, give them an opportunity to get things turned around. Um, so, I mean, that's always kind of an intriguing thought. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. The one guy that there seems to be some interest, uh, there seems to be some, some momentum getting behind him would be Seth Luttrell, uh, from, from okay. North Texas. Um, honestly, he's, he's been on my short list for a couple of years now, honestly. Um, you know, he's, he's really come on strong, but he's, he's kind of been that guy that you keep in the back of your mind of, you know, if he can do something and show something, then maybe you want him, um, ever since, but like last year's when I really started pushing, you know, we need to get rid of David Beatty because nothing has really, <laughs> really <laughs> happened very well, which that, that episode is actually still our highest listened to episode, um, for the entire podcast <laughs> when I'm sitting there going and ranting and raving about David Beatty. So, um, but yeah, so Seth Luttrell, I think is a, a guy that I, I would be ecstatic if we were able to get him. Um, I think even though it's going to, you know, there's going to be growing pains for whoever the next coach is. But I think he's got what it takes to get the program turned around. I would love to see him. Um, there's a few other guys that I would throw out there, but like um, the the guy over at Navy, I always I always mess up his last name. But uh, Ken, Ken Nia, yeah, Nia Tamalo, yeah. whatever, however yeah. you say his yeah, last yeah, name. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's already turned down a couple of higher profile jobs though, so I, I have a hard time thinking that he's gonna he's gonna bolt and come over to KU for any reason. But I mean, I, I wouldn't mind any of the triple option guys coming over. They all seem to be mm. fairly, fairly successful. I think it's something that could give the Big 12 some fits for a little while at least and get, get Kansas an opportunity to start building up some talent. Um, and then they could you know, potentially go back and, and find something that works. It's a little bit more traditional. But uh, I would love to see someone in that vein. I do not want another – you know, wide receiver coach or like position coach or brand new coordinator who, you know, seems like they're a hot shot. I want a guy that has at least some head coaching experience, whether that's his current job or a previous job and has had some sort of success. So I wouldn't be opposed to like an offensive coordinator who, you know, took a step back um, in the last couple of years and is now ready to head coach again. Uh, but I think, I think my, my personal favorite at this point would be Seth Luttrell. So. Sounds good. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no guarantee yeah. that they would get him, but I, I mean, I think he he definitely would be in line for a big payday, and it seems like that's the kind of the kind of hire that a guy like Jeff Long would want to make. So, um, all right. So, where where can the people find you online? Well, you can find me on on Twitter at, at the broadcast TCU at the broadcast TCU. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I love to interact with uh, people. Feel free to follow our show. You can subscribe on iTunes, and we're also uh, part of the 24-7 network. Our podcast got picked up by them uh, about two years ago. So you can go to hornfrogblitz.com, and it takes you to the TCU 24-7 site. And, you know, a lot of banter, a lot of recruiting news, and uh, there's, there's a lot of good info on there all the time. 
Sounds good. Yeah, we're really good friends with the the guy that runs the Kansas site as well over on on twenty four seven. So um, love all the work that they do there. So it's yeah, it's great to hear people getting picked up for 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 podcasts for that kind of stuff too. So all right, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks again. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. And that'll do it for tonight's episode. Big thanks to Jeff for joining us tonight to preview that TCU game. Um, just a quick rundown of what we have coming up. Uh, well, actually, while we're while I'm finishing up this recording, uh, Kansas is playing West Virginia right now in soccer, uh, trying to finish up. It would put them fourth, I believe, in the in the uh, table for the Big Twelve tournament. They are they've already clinched the Big Twelve tournament. Um, so by the time you're listening to this, we'll know exactly where they're at. But that will that is coming up later, uh, I believe, next week. And so, um, also, men's basketball is at halftime uh, of the game against Emporia State, the exhibition game. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch too much of that, but it looks like they've been doing pretty well. So Friday, uh, we have the Big 12 Championships in cross country up in Ames, Iowa. Uh, the tennis team is playing, uh, let's see, it's in Auburn, the Marlis Groover Memorial Tournament. So there's a tennis tournament this weekend. We have swimming and diving um, against TCU this week uh, on Saturday. The volleyball team, finish, I believe it finishes up their, their schedule at Baylor. Um, no, I take that back. They're not finishing up their schedule. What, what am I talking about? <laughs> but they are playing at Baylor at noon on Saturday. Um, they're playing basically right before the TCU game. So you can watch that game online or listen to it actually on the radio app. Uh, it looks like it is a pay site you have to go to in order to watch that game. So uh, you can listen to it on the Jayhawk radio before the football game, maybe while you're tailgating for the football game. And obviously football is Saturday at 2 p.m. Um, you know, Take a look for all the awesome tailgates we have out there, there's a few um, for you to choose from, but definitely find someone there. So um, Sunday, soccer. Uh, the, oh, there we go. The the soccer tournament actually starts on Sunday. Um, the quarterfinals are there. So uh, it's in Kansas City, Missouri, the Swope Soccer Village. Uh, if you if you have an opportunity to get out there, definitely go ahead and do it. Support the Jayhawks there, but they will play their first match on Sunday. Um, the women's team, the women's basketball team has an exhibition on Sunday as well at 2 p.m. against Fort Hayes State. And then we're getting into women's golf and all of that fun stuff. So we will have another episode probably before the next volleyball match, which is at West Virginia next week. Um, but just in case we don't, that is coming up as well. So Again, you can contact us online um, on on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod, on the email it's rockchalkpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you know, we always want your questions, your comments, all that fun stuff. Find us on iTunes um, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Rate, subscribe, five stars, all that fun stuff. Uh, it really does help to get our name out there and to, to kind of keep that going. So, um, you know, as, as always, any of the any of the great guests that we've had this season. Um, if you, if you want, you know, I definitely encourage you to follow their stuff to get as much information from them as you can. And, and, uh, you know, we'll definitely continue to give you additional information, things to look forward to coming up soon. Um, we are going to be talking with Jill Dorsey Hall at some point here to talk about the women's basketball team, uh, previewing their season. Uh, you know, we already had our big, big 12 or our big, huge, uh, men's basketball preview 
So we're going to do something similar for the women. It won't be quite as big, unfortunately, one, because there's just not as much information out there about them. But also, you know, the, the, the audience typically wants to hear more about the men's basketball team. Uh, we will be starting up our 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 regular sessions with, with Fetch to go over basketball, kind of like what we've been doing with, with Mike for the football team. So definitely be looking forward to that. But uh, we'll go ahead and get out of here for the night. Thank you guys for listening. And we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.